0: Galatians chapter 1, as we start a new book this morning in the New Testament, going right on through and looking at Galatians 1. Grace versus law. Grace versus law. The letter to the Galatians is Paul's declaration of justification by faith and the freedom that faith brings. And Paul directs this great guaranteed right of Christian freedom to all people that are willing to give up the priceless freedom that are in Jesus Christ. Certain Jewish legalists are influencing the believers in Galatia to trade their freedom that they have in Christ for bondage to the law. And Paul writes to disprove their false gospel of works and to show the superiority of justification by faith. Martin Luther considered the book of Galatians to be the best of all the books in the Bible. It's been called the battle cry of the Reformation, the great charter of religious freedom, and the Christian declaration of independence. And this letter is very important in any age because it answers the basic question asked by man how can I find true happiness? And a lot of people today, young and old and in between, are asking that question, how can I find true happiness? And many are looking in many different places, whether it be alcohol, drugs, sexual relationships, new jobs, pursuing different goals, and yet they're looking in all the wrong places, for things that are temporal, for things that aren't the answer to their question. We've heard in different ways the saying that man has to find out how to save himself. But we've all seen and still see through the years that man has not been able to save himself from destruction. Ritualism in obedience to the law of Moses was the snare that the Galatians were getting tangled up in. Through severe deprivation, you know, just depriving themselves of things, bodily affliction, needless works, self-righteous works, leaning on their own wisdom, leaning on their own strengths, being the captain of one's ship or fate, or the master of one's soul. The answer's not been found there. Paul said this in Colossians 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. I'm going to read to you from the New Living Translation. He said, "You have died with Christ, and He has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, like don't handle, don't taste, don't touch." These rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. And these rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial and severe bodily discipline but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. And for all those who are willing to take God at his word, Galatians shows the way to true freedom. Real freedom isn't legalism or liberalism. It's the freedom of bondage to freedom in Christ. And it involves becoming captive in his person, which means surrendering yourself to God as he's revealed himself in Jesus Christ to salvation. True freedom is found when a person is willing to stop every attempt at saving oneself and then receiving Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and trusting and resting in his cross alone. Whether one is fleeing oppression, getting out of prison, or breaking an everlasting habit, that freedom means real life. You know, imagine that person who's been in prison for many years, restricted, has to follow the rules, and can't do the things that they want to do, and then they get out. What freedom, what joy they must be experiencing. The letter to the Galatians was written to a group of churches in Galatia, which were located in the center of what is known now as Asia Minor or Turkey with a religion of nature worship. Many Jews lived in these cities, that is Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. And the Galatians were well known for their lack of restraint, for their fickleness, their love for new and curious things. And Paul visited Galatia on both of his first and third missionary journeys. And at the time Paul wrote this letter, the Galatians were facing two problems. One, purity of doctrine, that is purity in the Word of God, and secondly, purity of conduct, purity in their behavior. Certain people had come into the area there where those churches were, and they would pervert the gospel of Christ. And they insisted <clears throat> that salvation was of Christ, but works were also necessary for salvation. In other words, Jesus plus works. Works. And to this Judaizing, the Galatians were already starting to give in, and it was resulting in returning to a bondage of observing days and months and seasons and years. Paul said in Colossians two sixteen and eighteen through eighteen, he said, "Don't let anyone judge you in food and drink, or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, because these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come, and Christ Himself is that reality." He says, don't let anybody judge you in what you can drink and what you can't drink or what you can eat or can't eat or any rules. You know, you have to worship on this day or that day or whatever it might be. Those were just shadows of the reality that was to come. And Jesus Christ is that reality. Jesus, it says, uh, Paul said in Colossians 2.14, Jesus has wiped out the handwriting of requirements. That was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way and having nailed it to the cross. All of those handwritten rules and regulations that they had to follow in the law. Paul says that Jesus has taken those things and nailed them to the cross. They're gone. They're dead. And then Paul overwhelmingly destroys all arguments in favor of mixing the law with faith by pointing out that Abraham was justified by faith alone 430 years before the Mosaic law was ever given. Faith is the way. Paul answers the error that a believer is made spiritually mature by keeping the law, by him giving the truth of the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit and the richness of life available when Jesus rules the Christian that he dwells in. That's when a, a, a believer is, is truly made spiritual. We're living in a world, and I don't have to tell you that, that's filled with trouble. And it's becoming harder and harder to find any good news. But to the person who has trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior, the true good news is the gospel, the Word of God, the Bible. And that good news is that Jesus died for our sins and he was buried and he rose on the third day all according to the scriptures. All of it written in the Bible. It's the good news. The good news that you and I, sinners, can be forgiven and go to heaven because of what Jesus did on the cross. Nothing else. The good news of salvation through faith in Christ is the most important message in the whole world. And this message changed Paul's life and through Paul it changed the life of many others. And it changed many lives in this room as well. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.2 You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now he says teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. But now... This message that Paul is is, is glorying in, this message that Paul is preaching is now being attacked by these false preachers and Paul now was out to defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some false teachers had invaded the churches of Galatia, churches that Paul started. And they were teaching a different message than the one Paul had taught. And Paul now is about to go to war for the truth of the gospel and for the liberty, the freedom of the Christian life. False teachers are spreading a false gospel, which was a mixture of law and grace. And Paul is not about to stand by without doing something. And he first starts by attacking, uh, his first attack is by first explaining his authority. In verses 1 through 5, and then he speaks about his ministry. So let's look at verses 1 and 2 regarding Paul as an apostle. Chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. So in the early days of the church, God calls special men to do special tasks. Paul was one of them. The word apostle means one who is sent with a commission. One who was sent with a commission. And while Jesus was ministering on earth, he had many disciples. And from these, he selected 12 apostles. And later on, one of the requirements for being an apostle was that he had to have witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul was neither a disciple nor an apostle during Christ's earthly ministry. But Paul did see, all right, but he did see the risen Lord and he was commissioned by the Lord. But Paul's miraculous conversion did create some problems. And that's because from the very beginning, he wasn't a part of the original apostles. So his enemies, because of that reason, said, well, he's not a true apostle. He wasn't with them in the beginning. He wasn't one of the originals. Paul is very careful to point out that he had been made an apostle, here in verses 1 and 2, just as much as the original twelve. His apostleship wasn't from man. that is, he didn't get it from any man. No man made him an apostle. It wasn't any man's doing. It wasn't because of their approval of man. But it was by divine appointment. God made Paul an apostle. So he had authority to deal with the problems in the Galatian churches. But in his ministry, Paul had another reason for authority. He had started the churches in Galatia. He wasn't writing to them as a stranger, but as the one who brought them the message of salvation in the beginning. So this letter shows Paul's affection for these believers. Paul always had a loving care, a loving concern for those that he had led to the Lord. And he's always had a deep desire to see the churches that he had started glorify Christ. He wasn't happy just leading people to Christ and then letting them go. Listen to what he said. But we were, get, but we were gentle among you. Just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? When Paul had heard that false teachers started attacking his converts... And leading them astray, man, he was, really, he was really concerned about that. Because teaching new Christians how to live for Jesus Christ is just as important as winning them. You know, we just don't lead them to Christ and say, go for it. We want to teach them. We want, them, want to help them to grow in learning the Word of God and in, and in learning this, this new relationship now that they have with Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, go and make disciples, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. But the sad thing is is that a lot of Galatians turned away from Paul, who was their spiritual father in the Lord, and now they were mixing Old Testament law, the very thing that they were saved out of. These false teachers were taking them back that mixing the old law with the gospel of God's grace. And these false teachers were called Judaizers part of a religious organization because they were trying to lure the Christians back into the Jewish religious system following all the rituals and the laws. So Paul had a ministry as an apostle and specifically as the founder of the Galatian churches. So Paul had the authority to deal with the problems in those churches. But there was a second authority that Paul not that Paul had, not just his apostleship, but his message. Look at verses 3 and 4. He says grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory and uh, forever and ever. Amen. Even though Paul didn't have much to rejoice about and he did have a lot to grieve about. It doesn't mean that he he finds his situation that he's in hopeless and even though he's troubled about them he still looks at them as Christian communities and he's totally justified in giving this greeting of grace to them notice again in verse 3 what does he say grace to you and peace from God grace and peace have their origin in God a lot of people looking for peace today in this world and they can't find it and if they do it's only temporal because the source is in God The lasting source of peace. And you know what? But notice what came first. Grace. Grace and peace. Because without the grace of God in your life, you will not experience the peace of God in your life. From the very beginning, Paul clearly tells his message of the gospel because it was the message that the Judaizers, the false teachers, was changing. The gospel, remember, the gospel centers in a person. The object of our worship is a person, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The person, because the person Jesus paid a price. He gave himself to die on the cross. Jesus paid the price with his own precious blood that he might achieve a purpose, and that is delivering us sinners from bondage. Liberty in Christ is the main point in Galatians. The Judaizers wanted to lead the Christians out of their freedom of grace back into the bondage of law. And Paul knew that bondage was not a part of the message of the, of the gospel because Jesus died to set us free. So Paul's message and ministry and message were sources of spiritual authority. And then like I said in verse 5, notice again is his motive. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The false teachers were serving God were serving themselves they weren't serving Jesus Christ they weren't serving for the glory of Christ but for their own glory and like false teachers today the judaizers were not busy winning lost people to Christ they were stealing other men's converts and then they were bragging about their ministry and their numbers <laughs> look at how many people we have well yeah they stole them from Paul's ministry Paul's purpose was pure, and Paul's purpose was godly. He wasn't interested in statistics. He was interested in glorifying Jesus Christ, and that should be our main concern. Winning people to Jesus for the glory of Christ. Paul has now explained his authority and his message. So he's ready for a second step as he begins this battle for the liberty of the Christian Look at verses 6 through 7 now as he tells them, tells us about his anxiety, what's really you know, concerning him. In verse 6 it says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him, that is Jesus, who calls you in the grace of Christ, to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. What we see here is total, by Paul, what we see here by Paul is total bewilderment. He's totally confused. It's total disbelief. He says, I marvel so soon that you're turning away from Christ. Paul would usually commend people before he began to condemn them, but here he's condemning. He says, man, I marvel so soon that you're turning away from Jesus. He would usually praise and encourage them before he criticized and warned them. As he did, uh, 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 praising them and encouraging them in 1 Corinthians 1 4 through 9, he said, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no go- gift eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So in 1 Corinthians 1, we know that church was in bad shape and Paul was going to go out there and straighten it out, but he begins with encouragement and prays for them. But he didn't do that in Galatians, man. He warned them right away because here... The very fundamental nature of the gospel is at risk. And and if this wasn't the case, then Paul would have been very understanding. But when the issue is serious, like God's glory and man's salvation, hey, tolerance is very limited. And in view of what's going on here, emergency action was a priority, and Paul had to take the steps to deal with it. In view of what's happening in verses 6 through 10, which seems to be an outburst of anger, it's not an outburst of anger. It's an outburst of alarm. He said, man, I I marvel how soon you've turned away. Again, it's an outburst of alarm. It's an outburst of shock and amazement, not resentment. Even though Paul condemns their behavior, he doesn't reject them. Paul seems to feel that, you know what, they're going to get back on track and everything's going to be okay. We'll see that when we get to chapter 5, verse 10. But Paul is really troubled and he's stunned. He doesn't know what to think about it, to hear that the Galatian Christians are in the process of changing their position in Christ. Again, in verse 6, I marvel that you are turning away so soon. Especially after their conversion and especially after seeing the evangelistic work that was done in their midst by Paul and his companions. And they're the ones who are turning away. So it's not just a theological position that they were turning away from, but turning away their loyalty from the one who in his grace and mercy had called them and saved them. And they are turning away from God to a so-called different gospel. His opponents, Paul's opponents, were evidently calling their teaching a gospel. But they were saying, oh, it's a lot better than the one Paul is teaching you guys. But it was not a gospel of the same kind as Paul's. And Paul points out the specific reasons why this wasn't another gospel like the one they received. Because a true gospel is good news, specifically the good news of salvation. But Paul says in verse 7, notice, they came to trouble you. They came to trouble you. Their purpose, the false teacher's purpose, was to stir up, disturb, and unsettle the Galatians by troubling them. So through troubling these new converts, they hope to pervert or literally overthrow the gospel of Christ. Because Theirs, the Judaizers, gospel was no gospel at all. It was only a hidden attempt to destroy the gospel of Christ, which is the good news that through Jesus Christ, there is deliverance from this evil age. And like cultists today, the Judaizers would say, oh, we believe in Jesus Christ, but that's where you stop. That's where you stop. We believe in Jesus Christ, but. There, is no, there are no buts. They're saying, we believe in Jesus Christ, but we have something wonderful to add to what you already believe. What did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. It's not Jesus but, it's not Jesus and, it's not Jesus add to, the, no. It's Jesus only. God had called them and saved them. That is the Galatians, but now they were deserting him for human leaders. Later on, Paul will point out in detail the result of their message. It was only bondage and slavery in comparison to the deliverance and the freedom that the Galatians had found by grace through faith. Now, what was this deserting and perverting doing to the Galatians? It was troubling them, verse 7 says. It was causing them confusion and unrest. And that's why Paul is so concerned. And that's why he's so worried for his converts. They're struggling now. Because of this, th- this false doctrine. That had been brought into the churches. Grace always leads to peace. So they're taking this grace now. They, th- th- through Jesus Christ. And now they're adding it to the old, the old law. And the old ways of the Old Testament. And now they're experiencing turmoil. You see, true grace always leads to peace. And apart from grace, you will not experience peace. That is the grace of God. So grace always leads to peace. But the believers had turned away from grace, resulting in no peace in their hearts. So we must never forget that the Christian life is a living relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And a man or woman does not become a Christian by agreeing to follow a set of doctrines, a set of rules, do's and don'ts. They become a Christian by submitting to Jesus Christ and trusting in Him alone. You can't mix grace and works. You cannot mix grace and works. You know, it's like those bumper stickers that say "coexist." And they got all of these symbols that, that, you know, it's nice in theory. You got the cross, you got the Star of David, you got the the, the Muslim uh, uh, insignia, you got all of these. They'll never mix without Jesus Christ. He's the unifier, He's the one who died for all of those different religions. Otherwise, they have their own ideologies, and that's why they're at war today. Because they're not the gospel, the true gospel. I mean, it's like it's trying to mix light and darkness. They don't mix. And I've used the illustration before. You go into a dark room, you turn on the light, where's the dark go? You don't have a half room that's dark and a half room that's light. They don't mix. Light and darkness don't mix one excludes the other salvation is the gift of God's grace purchased for us by Jesus Christ on the cross period verses 8 through 10 we see Paul now exposes his enemies verses 8 through 10 but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we preach to you let him be accursed As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. How much of your time do you spend trying to please people? Paul had to speak harshly to the Galatian Christians. Why? They were in serious danger. And he didn't apologize for being straight up with them. He knew he couldn't, he couldn't serve Jesus faithfully if he let the Galatian Christians stay on the wrong track. Whose approval are you looking for? Men or God's? Pray for the boldest to seek God's approval more than anyone else's approval. Paul went to war immediately against the false teachers because he loved the truth and he loved those that he led to Jesus. He was like a loving father who watches over his children. Paul watched over his converts because he was afraid that they would be seduced back into sin. The Judaizers were known by the false gospel that they preached. And the test of a man's ministry isn't by how popular it is or by, the, uh, by, by miraculous signs and wonders that are performed, but by his faithfulness to the Word of God. Isaiah said in chapter 8, verse 20, he said, Look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict His Word are completely in the dark. There's no light in them. If they're not following God's Word, there's no light in them. And in Isaiah's day, their time of crisis, in their time of crisis, instead of turning to God for wisdom, the people were consulting in demons. And this only made their moral and spiritual darkness worse. And people today are still still deliberately rejecting God's word and turning to Satan's lies. Judah's leaders were anxiously looking for that new day. But they they saw only a worsening darkness. God's word is our only dependable light in this world's darkness. The psalmist said in Psalm 119105 105, Your Word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. You really want to know where you're going? Read God's word. You really know where you want where you where you need to go? Read God's word. He will never lead you astray. In Second John chapter five, verse, I'm sorry. 2 John five through eleven, we're warned not to encourage those who bring a false doctrine in. John said, "I'm writing to remind you, dear friends, that we should love one another. This is not a new commandment, but one we have had from the beginning. Love means doing what God has commanded us." And he has commanded us to love one another just as you heard from the beginning. I say this because many deceivers have gone out into the world. They deny that Jesus Christ has come in a real body. And such a person is a deceiver and an antichrist. And he says, Watch out. Beware that you do not lose what we have worked so hard to achieve. Be diligent so that you receive your full reward. And anyone who wanders away from the teaching has no relationship with God. But anyone who remains in the teaching of Jesus Christ has a relationship with both Father and Son. If anyone comes to your meeting and does not teach the truth about Jesus Christ, do not invite invite that person into your home or give any kind of encouragement. Anyone who encourages such people becomes a partner in their evil work. When those people come knocking at your door and you invite them in, John says, hey, don't even invite them into your house because you're going to encourage them in the evil work that they're doing. Jesus had committed the gospel to Paul and other faithful servants. But the Judaizers, they had come along and substituted their gospel for the true gospel. And this is why Paul pronounced them accursed in verse 8, which means when he says, let them be accursed, it means dedicated to destruction. Paul said, let them be dedicated to destruction for the false gospel that they're preaching. Look at 11 through 12. But I make known to you brethren that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man for I was neither for for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul tells them again, hey, he says I assure you God appointed me to be an apostle. Paul didn't get the gospel that he preached from a man. The Judaizers not only questioned Paul's message, they also questioned his apostleship. Because, again, he wasn't a part of the original twelve. Paul came later on. They didn't think much of his authority as an apostle because he wasn't a part of the original twelve. He's going to deal with them about his apostleship, and he's going to show that his apostleship rests on the fact that he was called directly by the revelation of Jesus Christ. He said, I didn't get my my apostleship by going to seminary. I didn't get my apostleship by being ordained by a group of men. I got my apostleship directly from a revelation of Jesus Christ. The gospel was unveiled to the Apostle Paul. Verse 13 and 14. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries, even my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Paul was saved, not in Judaism, not by Judaism, but from Judaism. He says, man, you heard about what I was doing before I got saved. I was persecuting the church. I was trying to destroy the church. And then he says something great happened to him. In verses 15 through 17, look what it says. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him, along, uh, preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and I returned again to Damascus. He says, man, I was persecuting the church. I was persecuting Christians. I was trying to destroy the church. He says, but then something happened to me. He says, it pleased God. In his kindness to choose me and to call me, just like it did everybody here that's born again. Even before I was born, Paul says, he chose me and called me. He said, man, that's undeserved mercy. He says, and then he revealed his son to me. So that I could proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. He said, when all of this happened to him, man, he said, I didn't rush out to talk with anybody about it. I didn't go to Jerusalem to talk with those who were there. Those who were apostles before me. He says, I went to Arabia and later on I returned to the city of Damascus. The, ver- the, verse, uh, the phrase in verse 15 where it says, But when it pleased God, it means that Paul was called according to the will of God. He says, But I didn't talk with flesh and blood. I didn't get the gospel from any man. I received it directly from Jesus Christ. Verse 18, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. Paul spent three years in the desert. Now we've seen this pattern before with others that God chose to bring his message to people. You see a pattern here of how God has trained his men. We see Paul spent three years in the desert. Remember, he trained Moses in the desert for 40 years. He put Abraham in a rather unique place to train him when he said, hey, Abraham, I want you to leave your country and I'm going to show you where to go. And he trained him just by leading him and teaching him and training him in faith. Elijah also had that same type of experience as Abraham. And it's been God's way to put his man out in the desert and to train him. David was trained outdoors in the caves while he was running away from Saul, King Saul. David cried out to God, saying that he was hunted like a bird. It was open season on David all the time. He felt he was just staying one one step ahead of death all the time. The Lord used the same technique here with Paul. God sent Paul to the desert for three years, and then he went to Jerusalem, and he saw Peter, and he stayed with him for 15 days. Verse 19. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, Paul had no contact with the apostles except Peter and James, the Lord's brother. That's all the contact Paul had with them. And he didn't receive anything. He he received nothing from them. And we'll see that. Verse 20. Now, concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God I do not lie. Paul says, Paul says here that he didn't get the gospel from anybody else. He also says, Man, I'm not lying which is he's inferring flat out that somebody else is lying. In verses 21 through 24 as we close. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. People had heard about Paul. He says, they haven't seen me by face, but they heard about me. They heard about how I was trying to destroy the church. He says, and, and, and he says, they've, they've heard about me and, and how he's changed his life. He says, now they give glory to God for me. His new life had blown people away. Just like it probably happened with a lot of you when they said, What? You're a Christian? You became a Christian? And then he go tell me, you, this, you should have known this person before they were a Christian. They're blown away. And that's what was happening with Paul. He says, you never met me, but you heard about me. And, and, and they're blown away. They praised God because only God could have turned Paul into the man that he was now. Only God could turn a fanatic persecutor of Christians into a Christian himself. Maybe you didn't have a dramatic change. Like, You've heard many dramatic testimonies. Maybe you didn't have a dramatic change like Paul. But even if you didn't, your new life should honor God in every way. And when people look at you, do they recognize that God has made a change in you? There should be evidence of a changed life. And if they don't recognize that God has made a change in you, maybe you're not living the way you should. And in last week's study, remember in 2 Corinthians, Paul said, examine yourselves, whether or not you're in the faith. He was telling you're Christians. Man, it should be obvious. There should be something different. There should be something about you that people see. And may that be the case for every one of us that claim the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you so much as always for your word, Lord. We thank you for those like Paul that you called to pass the gospel on to others and for them to faithfully pass it on all the way down to us, God. And it is our duty now to pass it on to others God undiminished in its power and in its purity and Father I just pray this morning that Lord that your has made it clear that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation that we cannot get to heaven any other way it's not Jesus and it's Jesus period And not to listen to the foolishness of this world. It says Buddha can get you into heaven, Confucius can get you into heaven, Mohammed can get you into heaven, and all the rest of the spiritual leaders of the past. That's all they were—were just leaders and, and mere men, and they're all still in their grave. But there's just one that is truth and that is living and that's Christ. And He's in the heavens the right at the right hand of the Father. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, and you've never made Him your Savior, we pray that the Spirit of God has spoken in your heart and has moved in your heart. And that you recognize that I need Jesus Christ I want to go to heaven when I die. And the Spirit's made it real to you that Jesus is the only way. If you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior while everybody's praying, just raise your hand real quick and put it down. Anybody here? The Word of God made it clear that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to salvation, the only way to heaven. Father, we thank you once again that you've left us this wonderful book, God. And Father, we pray that you would just continue to have it burn in our hearts, Lord. And may we not become at any time in our life like the Galatians, God, turning away from such a wonderful word, such a wonderful God. A wonderful Savior. Father, we thank you for what you've done for us. What you're doing for us and what you're going to do. Father, we thank you for the offering we'll receive today, Father, at your hand. We thank you, as always, for your goodness, for your generosity, for your faithfulness, God. Now you take care of us like a good father with his children. So, Lord, we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right.